Welcome back to the Be Well podcast. I'm your host, Beth Husted, and today we're talking about neurodiversity. Now, I've chosen this topic as we have Dyslexia Awareness coming up in October, and I think actually one of my guests, Yvonne, who I'll introduce you to in a second, said that the next uh, Neurodiversity Awareness Week will be at the beginning of the year, so obviously in, in 2024 at the beginning of the year, so that will be um, really fantastic for us to celebrate that as well. Um, but yeah, we've got this, we're talking about neurodiversity at the moment because we have Dyslexia Awareness coming up in October and our neurodiversity workshop for line managers is increasing in popularity. And we are seeing an increase of in people on social media talking about neurodivergent. I love that. I love that areas such as this are growing in awareness, much like that kind of huge spotlight we had a musculoskeletal issues many, many years ago. And as a result, that there was such a great focus on workplace safety and education, which has seen a clear reduction in work-related injuries from annual and sedentary work. We then are now kind of continuing to focus on mental health and stress management within the workplace. And we know that people are becoming more confident to talk about their needs in this area. Businesses, you know, are having to do stress risk assessments. Individuals are aware of the things that they need to do to look after themselves. And I was discussing this actually um, with my guests earlier that I, I do also see neurodiversity as something that we will eventually feel even more confident talking about. Perhaps there is a bit of a stigma around there now and we can break it down and sort of see it's on the same journey, that same trajectory as musculoskeletal, mental health, and then adding the neurodiversity and that to be creating that inclusive environment where everyone can thrive at home, at work and in everyday society. Uh, but that obviously will only happen with increased awareness, increased confidence, people starting to feel more safe to be their kind of true selves and, and show anything that they're experiencing. So I'm really pleased to be joined by my wonderful guest today, two of my team, neither are strangers to coming on the podcast. So it's great to have you both back. Yvonne and Chloe actually run and work on our dyslexia service here at Unum, as well as providing sort of support and being a subject matter experts on the team for supporting our neurodivergent customers and, and also supporting their managers. So it would be great if you could both tell us a bit more about yourself and your skills and passion for neurodiversity. Do you want to go yeah. first, Yvonne? Yeah, thanks, Beth. Hi, uh, I'm Yvonne Roberts. I'm a wellbeing and rehab consultant here at Unum, and I've been with Unum for 13 years. Um, I'm a chartered psychologist and specialise in occupational psychology. And as Beth said, part of my role is working with Chloe on the dyslexia service, um, but also working with individuals who are neurodivergent, so maybe with uh, ADHD or autism or dyspraxia and I think well really what you know what's what's clear is that everyone's going to be different so a big part of this work is about understanding um, their own experience what they find difficult what are the pressure points what their strengths are um, and then working together to think about is a software that might help what strategies could they use um, and then talking with a manager about what what the manager can do to help reduce the impact of, of any difficulties and help the person use their strengths at work. So it's quite different to a lot of the other work um, that we do here. So, I, you know, it's something that I particularly enjoy because you can really see the difference in, you know, when someone puts some software in place or some recommendations and it starts to make a difference. It's it's brilliant to see. Um, but I think, you know, as we'd probably all agree, we're definitely seeing an increase here at Unum in rehab referrals relating to maybe ADHD, autism, 
and dyslexia. And I think it's because it's becoming something that's been discussed a lot more openly. There's been a fair few quite high, you know, prominent people in the media that have written books about their experience. And it's led to people just thinking, actually, is this something maybe I'm neurodivergent? Is there some help I can get? So, yeah, it's it's a really satisfying, satisfying area to work in, I think, and help people. And I'm Chloe Benfield, also a rehabilitation and wellbeing consultant here at UNAM. So my background is in psychology. So my interest in neurodiversity really started at university. So I remember doing a module in the neurobiology of ADHD and sort of just getting into actually sort of the the reasons as to you know how this sort of all comes about now sort of the at UNAM so alongside Yvonne I help deliver sort of the dyslexia support service so it's interesting you know talking to these individuals and actually from a workplace perspective how this is affecting them and the challenges that they're facing so it's nice to have kind of that work satisfaction you know providing those recommendations, putting in that software um, and just hearing, you know, their experiences and how we can, you know, use our knowledge to to help them. And you are both really helping. And I see so many, it's been an increase in the volume of feedback we see with the cases that we're supporting um, in the service that you run. And, and it's always really positive. And, and I just I love, love kind of seeing that. But I'm just conscious. I've said a lot of the word neurodiversity. We've talked about neurodivergent. We've talked about conditions. And not everybody listening, the whole point of this podcast is to, to raise awareness and understanding. So can you run through terms mean the different uh, kind of colloquialisms words we're going to hear from our listeners guys so neurodiversity refers to that diversity of the human brain and sort of the the neurocognitive functioning so it's the diverse ways of thinking sort of learning that processing of information and there's so much media hype around it there's just so much information that it, it can get quite twisted and it seems like such a confusing term but in a nutshell it really just is that diverse thinking processing of information so it was a term that was first coined um, in the 1990s by a sociologist, um, so Judy Singer, um, and she put it nicely that it is just by the brain having those natural variations between people. So they're not deficits, they're not disorders, they're not impairments. It simply is just like there's biodiversity in the environment. It's that neurodiversity in sort of the differences between people's sort of brain functioning and brain sort of cognition. So it's that natural form of diversity, but all styles of neurocognition, all styles of neurocognitive processing are equally valid. So in a nutshell, that really is what neurodiversity is. It's the way I think and process things probably different to yourself, Chloe, to yourself, Yvonne. And then what they've kind of done is clubbed people that are neurotypical in, all in one group and said so this is the majority seem to be processing things in this way and then we've got kind of some outliers over here and they've given it this title this name but we're all yeah. on the same page just in a slightly different place people definitely don't think about things the same way I do so <laughs> but that's, that's another story but I've been really lucky since the day we started working within the more just the kind of the specific dyslexia area I've been lucky enough to to see it, to see it grow. And then kind of you guys provide that dyslexia vocational evaluation program and you guys kind of created that neurodiversity awareness workshop for line managers. I've had the privilege of I'm not in any way, shape or form 
an expert or even slightly knowledgeable in this area. I love doing this podcast. I always learn something new, but I have had that privilege of learning more on the topic with you guys, listening to the sessions that you're creating, working with you on, on kind of delivering the service. And what I've seen is that it can actually be quite a long journey for a diagnosis and it can be one that kind of quite a long one for individuals to be experiencing either at a young age or when they're older in adulthood and they're trying to get an explanation like you say Yvonne earlier it's become more aware people are able to kind of affiliate with what someone might be saying a prominent kind of person and you think actually that does sound like me then you've got to try and actually how do I find out if I am actually kind of neurodivergent what does that journey look like? Any thoughts on the actual benefits or impacts of getting a diagnosis or even seeking? We've seen quite a lot of people talking about private diagnosis. I know it's better for speed, but is there any insight into that? You know, the, the longer term impact of maybe coming away from the NHS because it's faster. I've seen it with other conditions. You know, sometimes you go out of the NHS, go private, but then you can't maintain the support from there because it might only be once and done and then you've come out the NHS and you can't go back in. So I'd be quite, be quite curious as to you say of explaining that journey of diagnosis, what it looks like for individuals. Is it worth leaving the NHS, getting private diagnosis? Just that kind of that journey, really, that experience. Mm. Yeah, so there's different routes through to diagnosis. So if we start with dyslexia, there isn't a medical route there. So if you do think you might have dyslexia, you can approach organisations like the British Dyslexia Association and ask for an assessment. So that's not linked to the NHS. It's it's separate. You you wouldn't. So you might be about to say it in a second. But what might you think? What might make you think I've got dyslexia? What would be that Um, trigger in your head? Generally, if we're working with adults, it's because at some point somebody suggested maybe they have dyslexia. So maybe it was at school, a teacher said it or someone if they went to university, someone at uni. Sometimes it can be that their manager has suggested it. So that tends to be what it is when we see adults um, coming through to our service. That's what's that's what's prompted it. For things like ADHD, autism and dyspraxia, and I'm just mentioning these because they're the most common ones that we would you'd come across then the GP is your starting point so you need to make an appointment with your GP and they will make a, a relevant referral but as you said Beth there's really really long waiting lists um, for adult diagnosis and it's months and months and months and in some cases years uh, to wait and that can just be really tough you know you're kind of at the point where you're thinking you know what I think it might be this and I want to understand it a little bit more and so if you know, if someone is able to to fund it, they may go down the private assessment route. Um, and I was just going to mention, actually, a programme. It was on the BBC, I think, probably a couple of months ago. And a reporter thought that they might have ADHD. So the programme was about them going through the NHS for an assessment and then also going through, I think they'd had reports of certain private companies whose methods were maybe questionable or, you know, there was complaints. So this person, this reporter also went through these specific private companies as well for an assessment. So the NHS assessment was really thorough. I think it was two or three hours. There was a big discussion about early years experience, um, whereas the these particular private companies that the BBC looked at, they carried out much shorter assessments. I think it was like half an hour for one of them. But what was interesting was that the NHS assessment said that the reporter didn't have ADHD, but the private company said that he did. 
so I think it just I remember watching it at the time just thinking gosh that so difficult then for someone who thinks okay maybe I'll, I'll get the money together maybe I'll go down this private route but then the actual diagnosis would then be thrown into question is this a reliable you know place to go to so I think as that program shows you do as you do I suppose anytime you go with your health or any anything for yourself um, you need to do your research make sure the company you're going to is reputable if you do decide to go privately but I guess the additional challenge if it is to do with ADHD, we see for ADHD, sometimes medication is suggested because it can really be helpful for some people. It helps with concentration. And if you want to try it, then trying to get that prescription transferred back to the NHS, it's either really difficult or not possible. So you're left with paying private prescription charges and those you have to keep seeing the psychiatrist maybe or the, the person, the specialist frequently over time so you know those costs add up so it just puts you in quite quite a difficult position I think um, if you if if you are there but Chloe I think Beth was talking about what does it mean to get a diagnosis what are the benefits and things I think you were going to talk a little bit about that. So sometimes I think there's so much emphasis that is placed on a diagnosis and for some people you know that is what they need they need that validation to help understand themselves and it puts a lot of a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together sometimes and just helps for them for their understanding but there doesn't always sort of need to sort of be that diagnosis and I think sometimes we need to come away from the labeling aspect and feeling that we need to go for a diagnosis that we need something there we need something to hold on to and actually it's all just about do we have the support avenues in place you know to do our job role and to sort of function every single day and have the support that we need just like everyone else can sort of get by. Thank you guys it's not the easiest journey for anybody and uh, it must be particularly tricky to support individuals know what you need to say or do um, and understand what they're going through as well. Now something I thought would be interesting to share on the podcast is something that you talked to me about when you were sharing your knowledge and research and it was something that was called a spiky profile and it really interested me and I thought it might be something that we might want to share today um it's something you've mentioned when it comes to kind of those who are neurodivergent and and it would be useful I suppose because you said nobody we're not too concerned about diagnosis when you come into our service because we just want to help that individual and put them at the centre. So what does that kind of idea with that spiky profile, how does that contribute to understanding and and, and understanding their ways of working? Mm. So we talk about the spiky profile and it means that there's a big difference in someone's level of ability from one task to another. Um, if someone's neurotypical, we see less differences between those different abilities. Um, but if someone's neurodivergent, it might be that, for example, they're really brilliant at maths, they're able to work out really difficult maths problems, but they might have difficulty navigating to a, to a place they've never been to before. And I think it can be helpful for you as an individual, if you're in this situation, or for a manager to, to just understand this sense of the spiky profile, because what it means is that Yes, there's going to be some areas that are a bit more difficult, that take a bit more energy to do, maybe compared to others. And for those, we need to think about, OK, what can we put in place to help with those? But more importantly, how can I as an individual or how can I as a manager support someone to really use their strengths at work? So can I 
can I adjust this role? So this person is really using their strengths. Maybe there's one or two things that, that, that are tricky. I'll put some software in place or I'll change the way that um, I provide information to them because that's easier for them to process. And that's why I think the spiky profile can be can be quite useful in that sense, because that's our ideal. We're looking to set up a place where strengths can be used and you can really start thriving then at work. I like that bit about the thriving piece. And if we're not looking at things as being weaknesses, we're looking at things as things we can support that person to be doing better. But let's really utilise. I know that I've I've always had different team members. Sometimes they're incredibly attention to detail and I'm really not. And, and, and that's not even just to do with being neurodivergent they just love like making sure that all the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted you guys always tell me how awful i'm just at filing stuff and we can never find anything because i put it in some random folder that made sense to me and i think that that's really really important to be able to 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 be making it positive you are extremely strong in this area let's really utilize that so that you feel just as validated and valuable as everybody else Something I have heard, and I know that we've spoken about it before, is this idea of individuals saying that their um, neurodivergence is a superpower, but that has raised a little bit of controversy in some areas as well. So I'm quite interested to sort of hear your take on that kind of concept, really, the superpower concept. Mm, yeah, it's a really interesting sort of idea and there's been a lot of conversation around it and some people who are neurodivergent sort of quite like the fact that, you know, they do bring strengths and it isn't all negative that they do have kind of big, things that they are good at. But for other people, you know, this idea of having a superpower doesn't always sit well with them, um, that it actually can bring a bit of a dangerous perspective that, you know, if you've set the expectation that you're hiring these superpowers um, or superheroes that bring a superpower, that they're going to do something out of the ordinary. Um, so you might be setting that unrealistic expectation that, you know, they are going to be an overachiever or they're going to be a perfectionist, that they are really creative and they're going to bring something really great when, you know, it's just part of their unique skill set. It just forms part of their identity. And I think sometimes that's a better way of looking at it, that we all have strengths. Um, and but it's just part of our identity rather than it being a superpower. Hmm. I think the other thing, for example, is as a manager, yes, it's helpful to have an idea of what someone might be experiencing if they've got dyslexia or ADHD. But you're only, you'll only ever know if you talk to them about it and understand their experience. So if someone says I've got ADHD and their manager or colleague assumes that they're going to have this superpower of hyper focus, it might not be the case for that individual when we're talking about neurodivergence, everyone is completely different. You're only going to understand by talking to that person because we know that different aspects can overlap. Other factors can um, have an influence. You can't make an assumption of what some someone can or can't do. I think the, the biggest thing is what we should be doing every single day is just treating every individual as an individual. We can't lump mm -hmm. everyone into yeah. one thing. What, do, uh, you know, something is really important as a manager for example is to always just talk with your staff and find out how do you like feedback because your way you like feedback is going to be completely different to the way someone else likes feedback what support do you need what home situation have you got and and we work around all of those things and then just add it to that mix is what the what the the things that we need to support you with how can I make sure that you can do your job the best of your ability what areas do I need to know about so I can help you 
flourish and thrive. Mm. I think it's just let's not lump everyone in together and say just because you've got that condition, you're going to be X, Y and Z. Because we even know it from mental health, just because you've got diagnosis of depression doesn't mean the way you're experiencing depression is going to be exactly the same way as someone else who's got depression we're all going to be completely different different lifestyle situations different triggers let's just make sure that we treat everyone as an individual all the way through to gender related topics as well it's just the same thing who who are you how do you identify how can I support you and that that kind of brings brings me on to the the next bit I wanted to to I was going to say question, but quiz, grill, uh, interrogate you. <laughs> because we, I mentioned at the very beginning about that kind of culture of openness, about the the journey we've been on with things like musculoskeletal issues, mental health, people raising more awareness of neurodiversity in a variety of different ways. And some of the reasons people don't speak up about a number of different things is stigma. Like mm. it, it, was, it wasn't necessarily anything people were talking about a long time ago and was that because it wasn't was well known is it the fact that because it hasn't been talking about I don't as an individual living with this I don't want to share it because I don't want to be seen positively or negatively so like do you think there is still a stigma if there is what can we do as a society what could I do as a manager how can we interact with our colleagues family etc to make a better environment or even just sort of thinking about work make a better work environment yeah, well, I do still see evidence of stigma, really. So we work with a lot of different people. It might be generational. So, for example, someone in their 50s who I worked with recently who'd held back during their working life from saying that they had dyslexia because they felt they might be looked upon differently, felt very, very cautious and concerned. Or sometimes, you know, people holding back from discussing a, a, a previous diagnosis in their, because of the experience they've had in the early life. So maybe they've been made to feel less than or not good enough or they've made been made to feel that they're not trying hard enough. And that has a huge impact on, you know, your self-esteem and what you feel about yourself. And it's going to influence then in, in adult life, in working life, how comfortable you feel about saying, you know what, this is where I am. This is what I need. This is, you know, this is what I can do. But then I also see um, sometimes younger people who are kind of, kind of feel like, well, this is what it is. I've just got to deal with it. And they have no expectations that there's going to be any changes made at work to help them thrive. Like we used that word earlier on. Um, and then there's some individuals that are really clear. You know, this is what I need. I'm going to ask for it. This is, you know, what I deserve. So we see quite I think we see quite a breadth, really. And I think in, your question about well, what can we do as people is give it, you know, give each other the chance to explain how they you know how you work best what do you need what's going to work well for you and just give people that time and space uh, I suppose. It's interesting as well because so my uh, one of my children has um, dyslexia and was diagnosed kind of later than normal but still as a child and that was fine it made life a lot easier we'd always really struggled with homeworks and things like that so it gave us some explanations some support and she was able to then get on at school a lot better but even now I hear you two <laughs> in my head when for example we might be texting and then she doesn't pick up on I was talking to you about it before we've on like a double negative or um, an inferred message that would just it's, it's 
the way she's reading it is completely different to what we are saying. And sometimes she'll be like, my dyslexia is meaning I cannot understand what you're saying. I can't interpret what point you're making. And other times she'll just reply to a state like um, like an, uh, something we've sent. And it's almost like um, what we're saying is the opposite of what's in there. But she answers it directly because she can't interpret that. And it ju it's just really funny because any other time you might just be like, well, that's a bit rude. They've just, but we're, I'm able now to hear you two going, it's the processing in the brain. Like this is a slightly different thing. That isn't rudeness. That's just, there's no reason for them to be picking up on your weird secret ways you're writing stuff. <laughs> just state the facts <laughs> and make it clear. And so it is just generally, if people do talk about it more, then there is more awareness. And then you can mm. just go, I didn't make any sense. Like I would recheck something I would write now. I'm a bit more conscious of I've just can I help you? No, you know, like if if you are writing no or yeah. a question at the end of something where they are, it, yeah, that kind of stuff. It's very interesting because I double check the way I'm writing stuff because it's not going to be picked up and then it will just create confusion. So making sure that the person, the awareness, the conversations are had and see if you can make things any better for them. I suppose. <laughs> There's tools and resources that are out there. We know most about work. We, you know, every day I was just talking about texting, for example, that's something to be aware of. And it might be useful if you know that you've got a neurodivergent friend. One of my friends has got ADHD. And so she is always kind of, there's, you go around the house and you don't know what you're going to expect to come into. She's either going to be ready and prepared for you or the house is going to be in a state of disarray and she's going to just be sitting in the, in a, mess of confusion not really knowing what she's going to do next like you just get you just prepare yourselves for these things but at work for example is there things that we can tools and resources that can help individuals that you you could talk through because that's obviously what you're doing every day is making those recommendations yeah absolutely and I think that's the beauty of what we do there's so many different tools and resources out there that you know when we're having these conversations with these individuals really getting to understand what are their challenges what are their barriers so we can you know bespoke those to them um, and even just things really simple adjustments you know, like coloured overlays or just you know a free software that's available on Microsoft just little things like that that people maybe aren't aware of that are there to tap into can make such a massive difference I think it all boils down to you know having those conversations something that we've touched on throughout the, the podcast is you know what are their barriers? What are their strengths? What can we trial? Um, and it's okay for things to not work, you know, trial it, make sure we've sort of written it down. An adjustment passport might be something to consider, um, but just making sure that things have been sort of trialed um, and that type of thing. It's a great way to see it in different types of categories. So all the different softwares available, whether it's text to speech softwares, whether it's, you know, Dragon or just the functionalities through Microsoft, um, things like Grammarly or read and write you know, there's loads of different softwares out there dedicated for neurodivergent individuals i attended a, a, a talk recently and there was a, a lady on there who is neurodivergent and what she was saying you know in her 30 sort of year career the biggest support the biggest tool the biggest resource that was implemented for her was to just be herself that if she needed a break if she needed you know she could stim freely if she needed a break and there was just that acceptance there and that was 
the most beneficial adjustments she's had over any software or um, you know any organization time management tools or memory concentration anything that was sort of the most um, beneficial which I thought was interesting um, so it's all have that conversation what are those barriers but break it down you know can we change their working environment you know if someone is autistic do they struggle with that social interaction can we you know put them maybe away from busy walkways or working from home is that a, an option a meeting room can that be booked out for someone to work in whether it's adjustment you know flexibility in their hours from a well-being perspective you know just having those breaks additional micro breaks or medical comfort breaks there's dedicated training as well so there's loads of different organizations out there you know genius within is a great one you know they celebrate neurodiversity how can we as neurodivergent individuals what can we you know tap into how can we focus on those strengths and train people through their day-to-day -day job role to make it a little bit easier for them it's interesting when I speak to a lot of sort of um, graduates now a lot of AI is being used as well so chat GBT a great one that I'm seeing so many people talk about um, so there's loads of different sort of support tools and things like that out there one of the biggest key takeaway messages that I've heard recently is that you know all adjustments will help everyone whether they are neurodivergent or you know neurotypical adjustments help everyone so you know we can all use an escalator we can all use a lift but for some people you know using sort of using that just makes it a little bit easier you know we could walk up the stairs but if we use the lift it just makes it a little bit easier so we need to just set up that job to utilize people's strengths are we setting that up to celebrate their strengths and you know make it just easier for them it's that idea of uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's isn't it? it. That's what I was looking for. You know, yeah. <laughs> if, if the manager really focuses on making sure objectives are very clear, thinks about how messages are communicated, as you said, Beth, talks to the team about how do you prefer to receive feedback? What do you want to do if something's gone wrong and I need to talk to you about it? How would you prefer that to go? This is going to be helpful for everyone, but particularly for those potentially who are neurodivergent. Thanks, guys. We've talked about so much today. We've talked about escalators and lifts and stairs, and we've, talk <laughs> we've talked about the, the boats. Uh, but we've also talked a lot about, you know, there is still potentially some stigma there. There is still a lack of awareness and understanding by people. We don't want to box people off. We want to be considering everyone on their own merits, their own skills, their own strengths. Let's not label conditions and people. Let's just, you know, work out what we can do. Let's think about that spiky profile. Think about the individuals. Um, but also we need to be considerate of the time it takes and the journey to get to knowing more about yourself in terms of you know having a diagnosis because that can also play a part in how you're feeling how you're feeling how you're thinking your your well-being and your mental health as well because you 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 know that validation of actually having the title might be all that you needed because you just knew you felt in a certain way but it took such a long time to get there or you weren't believed uh, so on and so forth so we just need to take that it's a consideration for everybody let's be inclusive all the time for for genders, for health conditions, for neurodiversity. We just need to be accepting and listen to people and, and make them feel supported. There's loads of different tools and tips that, that Chloe's mentioned and, and resources as well. But if we were going to kind of leave anything else that we could share, any tips, ways to be more inclusive as individuals, as businesses, as colleagues, whatever we could be, what would what would they be, guys? Your final parting takeaways. I would absolutely say raise awareness. Don't be 
you know, afraid as an individual, as a business to celebrate neurodiversity, to talk about it, to bring it out into the open. Uh, something that I speak to individuals about is having things like a dyslexia support groups. And so many individuals, particularly who are neurodiverse, get so excited, you know, just to be able to speak to someone who is sort of similar to me and has processes information the same as me would be so helpful. So I think if we're raising that awareness piece, educating people, not being scared to talk about it, I think it's going to help everyone in the long run. If you are neurodivergent yourself and you feel comfortable, talk to others about it, share your experiences with others, because, you know, I'm I'm not neurodivergent. I I need to understand from others about what their experience is. I can't presume what it is. So the more you can talk about it, if that is your experience, then the more other people who may be in a similar position feel confident to share their situation too, rather than be sat struggling on their own and not saying anything. Um, so I think that's important. And the other bit, I guess, you know, we, it's a big part of what we do is around well-being. Um, and just remember your own well-being in all of this and think about what you need to do to keep yourself feeling um, the best you can. Because if you, you know, if you do have dyslexia or ADHD, it's going to take a lot more effort if your job role is really not using your strengths. You, you know, you're going to be using up a lot of energy, mental energy to get through the day. So really making sure you're taking care of yourself would be the other thing. But I always say that, don't I, Beth? That's always what I mean. Well, we say that as a team. <laughs> we all every, say that. Every yeah. single condition we talk about, any issues we talk Take about, anything is like, look after yourself, prioritise yourself. We do manager sessions when we're talking about recurring conditions and end it. Make sure you do your own well-being because you need to be in a good place to look after your staff. You are the sole person that can look after yourself. No one else can. And if you can't look after yourself, you can't do any of the other things that you're expected to do anyway. So always prioritise your own health and well-being. And there's lots of other podcasts on this channel that you can listen to to help you with that as well. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much, both of you. Was there anything else that you wanted to share? or we? Beth, I think you mentioned at the very beginning about um, Neurodiversity Celebration Week, and it's at the start of March next year. So they've brilliant. just released that. March the 18th. March the 18th. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So I think we're looking to um, have another podcast out by then. And hopefully we will be able to get some individuals with lived experience to, to come on and, and give us some more insight as we continue with this journey of of awareness when it comes to neurodiversity. So that's just for me to say thank you so much to Yvonne. Thank you so much to you, Chloe. It's been insightful again. As always, I've learned something um, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time for today. Thank you. Thanks, Beth.